the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It is Monday, May 15th. Planning to get to, we're going to bounce around with some player futures today, uh, mostly in the NBA, a couple of other uh, areas of concern, but it's a big uh, post NBA recap weekend here with a couple of game sixes and a game seven last night, which was highly anticlimactic. But there are certainly repercussions, and that's where much of the news is going to be driven for the next couple of days. And we're going to lean into it because contractually speaking, that's what this is all about. I, I believe the correct place to start is James Harden. There are other names involved here. Uh, we could get to some trade candidates. I think I will in a couple of minutes here. But Harden is the prototypical, I don't know, embattled, maybe happy, but still willing to take phone calls from other possible dates, right? I mean, it, the Houston stuff, I think, was as real as it can be. And that was months ago. And when Keith Smith did the piece on com, sort of detailing the financial future for James Harden, which is now very much in fut- you know, in focus... Keith wasn't shy about mentioning Houston, and that's not his style. Um, he's not a hot take guy. He's an analytical, number-driven guy. So for him to, to, to mention that Houston, at least with their cap space, has to be a, a, you know, a conscious decision here for James Harden, we're going to find out more about Houston's future tomorrow because tomorrow's the NBA draft lottery. The, uh, the Wemby stakes are finally coming to a head, and Houston's got as good of, as odds as San Antonio and Detroit. And there's a world where tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, somebody's some some franchise's future changes forever, right? Because this is a generational guy. This is it. This is the one piece that not only says, okay, now we're going to have this guy. How do we go from here? Because it changes the outlook of your entire offseason. If Houston gets this... If tomorrow the Wemby, Wemby stakes go to Houston, I can't see a world where James Harden isn't there July 1st. I just can't. Um, here's how this works. He's 34. So yes, there are max, max contracts for staying and for going. But because the fifth year of this contract would take him into the over 38 rule, which is a very specific safeguard for teams in the NBA, effectively speaking, we're talking about a four-year contract either to stay or to go. Now, I should I should note, and I think it's pretty commonplace, but he does carry a $35.5 million player option next year. But he took the pay cut this year. He's already kind of talked about exploring options sort of outwardly. So in my mind, that option's gone. Let's just let's just consider it opted out at this point. So it's about a contract to extend in Philly or a free agent contract elsewhere with Houston to me, at the forefront of that conversation. And that could very much amplify tomorrow during the draft lottery. Um, it's about four years, 210 to stay on a max situation, which I would have to imagine is where, the, where his head is and where Philadelphia's head has to be after this real pay cut this year. I mean, James Harden took a, my career might be in decline pay cut for 2022-23. And he proved otherwise. Yep, he laid an egg in game seven. Yep, he laid an egg in game six, right? There were a lot of 
inconsistent moments. But in my opinion, and I think in plenty of our opinions, James Harden did enough this year to warrant being a top two player on a team, whether it's to stay in Philadelphia or to join a team like Houston. Four years, 210 is the max to stay to skirt that over 38 rule. Four years, 201 and change is the max free agent contract. Again, this is based on a 134 cap for next year. He's getting this contract from somebody. One of those two numbers is going to be James Harden next contract. There's, in my mind, there's no way around this. Um, is there a world where he joins, I don't know, Phoenix or the Lakers? Or, or There's just not cap space for that, right? You'd have to work a sign-in trade, and I don't think Daryl Morey wants to get into that conversation. Now, look, he might. That might be how this works with Houston, right? Because it doesn't, it doesn't impact his bottom line. It hard caps Houston, not Philadelphia. But... Daryl Morey doesn't like to play ball with a lot of a lot of guys out there. Let's put it that way. And he's shaking right now. He might even be on the hot seat right now. I would assume it's going to be Doc Rivers on that hot seat, but Daryl Morey is going to be just as much in focus as anyone else, especially with Embiid's comments about how there just simply wasn't you know enough help down the stretch. That's a shot at the GM and certainly the players that he's ta- he's referencing. But that's the numbers with Harden. He's going to opt out of a thirty-five million dollar player option. And there's a four-year max at 210 to stay. There's a four-year max at 201 to go. Um, and we'll have to wait and see. Like I said, tomorrow, a lot more comes into focus for some of these, uh, these bad franchises as the lottery kind of changes their lives. John Morant's back in the news for all the wrong reasons. Uh, round two of this uh, gun flashing on Instagram. I'm not going to go down the TMZ route. I'm going to stick with the money part of this. It sure sounds like there's a lengthy suspension coming in, and lengthy is the word that's being used right now. It's also notable in the NBA because there are two different elements to a suspension for a player. If it's 20 games or less, it's 1 145th of the salary. If it's more than 20 games, it's 1 110th of the salary. So assuming a 134 cap next year, John Moran should have a $33.5 million salary. That's based on his extension that did not supermax when he did not reach all NBA status. So you can do the quick math on that. I'll do it for you. If it's a less than 20, 20 game suspension, he loses about 231,000 per game missed. If it's more than 20, he's going to be docked over 304,000 per game suspended for whatever's about to happen. Um, seems like the NBA is going to come down hard this time. They kind of let Memphis do their own thing. Memphis was extremely quick in their reaction to this one. Now it's easy. You know, they're in off-season mode, so they simply just have to basically say, you're staying away from the facility. Guess what? That was probably already happening, but this is not going to go away. It'll get it'll get clouded a little bit because the NBA off-season is nuts. And then sometime when everything's settling down, right, around, around, rookie, around rookie contract extension time, and we're talking Maxi and all those guys who have to get extensions, they're going to drop a, a significant suspension on John Morant. And we'll be able to put some actual put into this financial future, but it's going to be around 230 or 300 lost per game suspended based on how long it is. I read a really well-toned piece by Tim Kawakami from The Athletic this morning on the Warriors as I was kind of doing my own research on where this thing's headed because look, the sky is falling is going to be the easy approach here. And I just don't think that's where we're headed. Now, 
could have a new GM, could have a new president of base basketball operations if Bob Myers decides to leave. And it it sounds like he's playing hardball with his contract. I believe the Warriors have made notable offers to him. It seems like from some of the fan perspective I'm reading and things like that, that maybe his time has kind of worn out a little bit there. I think he's a hell of, a, of an executive. And you're talking about some of these teams that are slowly starting to build up. You want to bring this guy in as your head of basketball operations, even if there's a GM in house, just to kind of be a one, two punch. There's not a price tag on that based on what has happened in, in golden state. And not only the draft process of Curry and clay and Draymond, but these additions, you can say they fell short this year. The piece I'm, I'm referencing on the athletic at first, I was frustrated with the tone of it, which was, Everything went wrong the second Draymond Green punched punch Jordan Poole. And the the more I read, and I read the, every single word of this article, the more I actually believe this sentiment more and more now. Um, it's not about not having the right roster. I mean, it's not about the ups and downs or Steph is declining or Clay is, Clay is definitely in decline and, and just not able to fully recover from his injury history, unfortunately. But there was a disconnect, and and we're going to hear more about this, and it might lead to some movement. It might leave might lead to a transaction that surprises us to some degree, but it might not. And basically, what was said here in this piece is, it slowed everything down out of the gate. It made everything uncomfortable. The league really didn't address it because it was one of those things where probably should never have seen the light of day anyway. You know, yes, these things do happen. But the gravity of this, the players that were involved, the fact that it's kind of like their golden, their golden team, you know, pun not intended. The NBA sort of skirted this one quite a bit here, which is interesting, which kind of left Golden State to, f- to figure this out for themselves. And the point of the piece was there's a, there's a chance they never did. There's a chance that the disconnect just remained, even if it sort of smoothed itself out at times. The, the ebbs and flows of the Warrior seasons were as obvious as anything. And they were talked about at nauseum. Does it mean things need to change drastically? I'm not positive either after reading this piece. And I thought, like I said, I thought it was a well-put piece. That was sort of like the... It, it could have been an injury. You know, it could have been... Steph Curry was injured in the preseason... And it meant the Warriors went 2-14 and 14 to start the season, and they just simply weren't able to recover. Except it wasn't that. It wasn't as simple as, we got to get this guy back, get comfortable, and we can go. There was always this side eye, you know? And that, yes, they put a locker next to each other. They tried to make this look or, and force this to work as much as possible. Does it mean Jordan Poole has to go this offseason? It might. We don't know the gravity of what's happening. We don't know how deep-rooted this has become. It might mean that. It also might mean that because Jordan Poole couldn't find the floor in the postseason because he simply was not effective enough to be out there. I don't know if there's a team that wants four for 128 on Jordan Poole, but we've seen much worse contracts for much worse players be traded in this league. So I would be remiss if I sat here and said Jordan Poole is untradeable. That's just not the case. Okay. To me, it's do the Warriors want to forfeit that depth right now. I'm not sure they do. Now, is Jordan Poole going to be the bridge to the next dynasty for Golden State? 
that's certainly in question. All right. And if that was the plan, that has taken a major step backwards. However, I do think he's the right player for this team in the immediacy. If they can get through an offseason and head into October 10th with a smoother ride. If Steve Kerr thinks that that's the case, then there's no need to change much of anything. And in fact, I'm probably extending Draymond Green, who absolutely earned that. There's no question about it. Okay, you tell him you're going to opt out of that player option. We're going to give you a four-year extension and you're going to be a Golden State Warrior for life. I don't believe that the answer is trading Draymond Green, whether that's a sign-in trade because he's opted out or trading him on his player option to unlock Jordan Poole from whatever you know barriers that Draymond Green was putting up against him. That to me isn't the answer. And here's why. Steph Curry relies on Draymond Green. Yes, it's Steph and Clay, and that's sort of the, the marketing pitch. But Draymond Green is the most important per- player to Steph Curry, has been since day one, and will continue to be even more so now as Curry declines and gets older. So you want to tell me some, that they find a trade partner for Clay Thompson's one for 43? I'd say that's probably, probably hard, but I wouldn't be su- as surprised as if they moved on from Draymond Green this offseason. Jordan Poole's a crapshoot. The contract's not great. His production wasn't great. And there's certainly a black eye, pun intended, between a lot of the a lot of the organizational, you know, direction where this was supposed to be heading with Kaminga, with Moody. But we'll know exactly how bad things got if Jordan Poole is traded. That's my opinion. Because I believe from a basketball standpoint, he went through a bad stretch here, but he still is the right fit as the third, fourth option in that backcourt on, on an overpaid contract. But find me a team that doesn't have an overpaid contract right now. It's just how the NBA works. It was either send this guy to restrictive free agency and hope he doesn't get an offer sheet or pay him. Now, they paid him probably too much, right? They went above Tyler Hero's contract. They went above a bunch of other backcourt players in that rookie extension. So it's probably 20 to, to, to 25 million more than they needed to go. I think Keith had him around the $100 million mark. But we are where we are. So I, I think the tone of this piece was this was going to be a crapshoot from day one because of that punch. And they can either choose to, to blow up a few of these pieces and fix it transactionally. Or they can see if this thing will smooth itself out. And this roster is actually good enough to get to round three, to get to, get to the finals next year. The, the words coming out of Steve Kerr's mouth weren't very illuminating in that regard. right? It seemed like change is imminent, at least to some degree, based on what Steve Kerr has said in his post-game report from Friday. But I'm not sure that's the right approach. Because you can't just change the change if you're this good. And if you have that player, you have to change with calculation. And with the, the GM and the president of basketball operations up in the air, is he in the right frame of mind right now to be the guy that sort of fixes this thing transactionally? I think there are too many moving parts to say that let's just trade Jordan Poole and get two players back and, and see if that works for us. Now, it worked for the Lakers, right? That's, that's essentially what the Lakers did at the deadline. And 
they find themselves a couple of wins away from the finals here. But to me, it seems more likely that the Warriors as a whole run this thing back. You want to tell me they trade Kaminga? That's fine. Okay, that's a that's a fourth year club option uh, with restricted free agency ahead of him. They probably don't want to go through the rookie extension conversation because it's just not going to happen, right? It's not it's just not there right now. So, is there a team out there that's that's willing to take that leap? Maybe. I mean, you can find that trade partner in, in July if you need to, August if you need to. Uh, that doesn't even move the needle for me. This guy was getting zero minutes down the stretch. So, I think for the most part. It's not going to be the sky is falling, and even more so, it may be run this whole damn thing back. Let's try to have a smoother offseason instead of trying to compete against ourselves, which is what it looked like for a lot, a lot of 2022-23. Really quickly, I mentioned the NBA lottery Tuesday, May 16th. Here's the quick odds. The top three spots have a 40% chance at pick number one. That's Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio. All have their own reasons for needing Wembenyana, no question about it. Charlotte's fourth with 12 and a half. Portland, man, oh man, would that be fun, is fifth with 10 and a half. And Orlando, maybe the one I'm rooting for the most, is sixth with a 9% chance at pick number one. I mean, talk about coming from... You can, you've seen the ladders, right? The ladder steps up and up and up and up in Orlando. And they've taken some backward steps with some injuries. Uh, the Jonathan Isaac stuff's been tough because that's a hell of a player who just can't figure it out right now, injury-wise. But you drop one manana in this roster with Paulo, and it's talking about a league pass team. Talk about a team you're going to have to find and watch. Talk about a team that TNT is going to have to show. It's Orlando. Immediately. Immediately. And talk about a team that could bag themselves a free agent if things go right tomorrow for them. That's the team I'm rooting for secretly. I am I mentioned Portland. There's a world where I'm, I'm hoping this doesn't happen for them. I'm, there's a world where I'm hoping they end up fifth, right where they belong here. I'm ready for Dame to be moved elsewhere. I'm ready for Dame to be a factor as a number two guy with a team that's desperately in need of that. By the way, that could be Philly. Okay? If Harden does move on, as we kind of think he might... Dame Lillard to Philly has to be an option. Dame Lillard to the Knicks has to be an option. Dame Lillard to the Nets has to be an option, right? Dame Lillard to, well, Phoenix doesn't have the assets to do it anymore. To Dallas has to be an option. There are a lot of teams right on that fringe, right there, that could really use three more years of Dame Lillard. And I don't think Portland's going to find enough tread to make it worth his time to stay anymore. And he knows that. He said that out loud as such. So if they win tomorrow's sweepstakes, I don't know how you turn around and trade Dame Lillard, right? Unless what you're saying to your fans is, this is now the new generation of Portland Trailblazers. We're going to start everything with Victor. And that's going to include getting a boatload of trade assets for Dame Lillard who we're going to let go and try to win a championship immediately somewhere else. Thank him for his time. Take all those draft picks we get back for him and maybe a couple of, uh, you know, savvy depth players to put around Victor for his first couple of seasons. Cause it's just, it's unfeasible to think this guy's going to come in and win a championship next year. That just doesn't happen in this league. Not, not even with LeBron, not with anybody. 
So it's going to take a minute and Dame doesn't have a minute anymore. Right. We thought his injury a couple of years ago was career ending. He's turned it around. He found his legs last year again. He's still a viable number two asset, number one asset for, for the most part. So I guess, I guess maybe I'm talking myself out of it. I, I guess either way, right? Maybe even more so if they win. Right? They have the pitch to say, this is now our new our guy. This is what we're going to hang our hat on. And uh, it's the wrong window for Dame. I think it is no matter what. I think it's the wrong t- time for Dame to finish his career here from a contention standpoint. But I'm rooting for some major change there. I mean, that's the big offseason trade I'm hoping for that doesn't turn into a Rudy Gobert situation, but maybe more so a Donovan Mitchell situation. That's kind of what I'm rooting for here. Indiana, Indiana's seventh. The Wizards are eighth. Utah's ninth. And Dallas is tenth. And they keep that pick because of some uh, roster gymnastics down the stretch, as we talked about quite a, a couple of weeks ago. So most likely that it's Detroit, Houston, or San Antonio. Uh, Charlotte's got a, a legitimate chance at this, and I think that would drastically change the Lamella Ball future. Uh, if they do, if they do not get a top two or three pick here, Charlotte, Lamella Ball is going to be in a lot of conversations, even though even though he can't stay healthy himself. Uh, but there's been too much discourse in that roster to just imagine them keeping him around at his price or him wanting to show up in this locker room again and go through another season like they just went through. So I I would imagine that it's a big day for Charlotte tomorrow. And uh, if it doesn't go their way, look for them, look for Portland, look for Washington with Bradley Beal finally to really start to make some considerations about a big blockbuster trade. You may you may sit here thinking I'm just making hot takes. This is year 15 of the NBA offseason for me doing this at least cl- as closely as possible. It never disappoints. Two of the three players I just mentioned are probably getting traded. And I didn't even mention the Julius Randles of the world. Something's happening with Phoenix, right? Something. James Harden's probably on a sign and trade. Uh, something out of Golden State is somewhat likely. I don't think it's going to be a blockbuster like I talked about. Uh, Dallas is going to do something, right? <laughs> Otherwise, Luke is going to start chirping, and in, rightfully so. There are names across the entire league that will be in trade discussions, and for the most part, they've all come true, including Kevin Durant. Took a little longer than expected, but it happened, and it was the expected destination. DeAndre Ayton, by the way, absolutely on the trade block right now, even though he's kind of sour milk. A lot of big names here. A lot of big names. Carl Anthony Towns is going to be on there. So there's a, there's an offseason ahead of us that isn't going to have the best free agency. And by the way, that's going to become the norm more and more as we structure these contracts differently. Um, it may turn a corner a little bit as franchises try to figure out this new CBA and that Supermax apron and things like that. There may be a bit less movement and a bit more need for cap space so that you can actually sign a player with cap instead of having to do some of these gymnastics with sign and trades and rights and all that, it may normalize just a tad. Um, and I'd like to hear Keith's thoughts on that a little bit too. But for the most part, the free agent list is going to be a C plus, And it's going to be about which players are actually available despite being under contract on their current team. And that part of it never disappoints. Never. We're going to see a dozen players that, uh, can become 
cha- game changers for new franchises. Toronto's going to make something significant. So we'll, uh, we'll stay with that. Keith's doing the offseason pieces as we speak right now. And uh, he's into the heart and heart and soul of it. He just finished Dallas. There's a, there's a few more coming. I know Utah's in the docket here. I believe he posted Toronto uh, late last week. Like I said, that's a team that already fired their coach. Does that mean there's roster change coming? Probably. Probably. There could be uh, quite a lot of change in Toronto. And there's some star players that other teams are dying to look for here. So uh, keep up with Keith's offseason pieces. And I'll keep kind of teasing these things as we get down to the line couple more notes to get to here and we'll get out of here nice and quickly today. I'm looking at the 2024 Major League Baseball free agent tracker on Splashtrack.com and I've got it organized by current 2023 war. Pretty simple stuff. Uh, Who is making an impact right now that is headed towards unrestricted free agency in just a few months? Matt Chapman is by far leading the way in terms of position players in his torrid start in Toronto, which appears to be a real thing. Cousin Dan and I talked about how there's a real fit here with player and team and uh, an extension at some point in time here seems extremely likely. So I don't think this one will get to the finish line, although Chapman may be saying to himself and his agent certainly is saying something. Doesn't it at least behoove us to see what's out there, (laughs) right? I mean, he's going to be 31 not even. He'll be 30 and a half, really, when free agency becomes a, a part of his life here in a couple months. That's a good time for a six-year contract, uh, maybe a little bit longer. But I, I do think Toronto and Matt Chapman are a perfect fit. We'll see if something gets done in the next couple of months here. Sonny Gray has stormed back for a Minnesota team that needed pitching like nothing else this offseason. And uh, he is your top war pending free agent pitcher right now with Otani lingering right right there in third place both as a hitter and as a pitcher his season has been nothing short of outstanding again clayton kershaw still doing it the whip is under one the era is 2.36 he's got six wins already the dodgers by the way are the dodgers again as we all expected them to be the padres are going to be looking from the bottom up again despite their payroll and uh, we'll see where things shake out in a couple of months here but for all intents Clayton Kershaw could be finishing his career on a very, very high note if that's where things are headed. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, really nice addition for Toronto. Dan's talked about that quite a bit about how he was brought in basically to cover George Springer's butt because that dude just couldn't stop getting hurt. And now he basically had a one-two platoon partner and that has worked out very well. Martin Perez signed that qualifying offer with, with Texas, which I thought was the best move for everybody. And he's playing himself. Look, the ERA is a little bit high, uh, but he's he's doing exactly what I think they they're asking him to do, especially now with Degrom up in the air. Unfortunately speaking, but Texas is going to be hanging around here and at least a fringe wild card candidate. So some names here: Giolito's okay, and you know he's not going to be that superstar prospect that we all wanted him to be. He's carrying a 1.1 WAR right now into free agency for the first time. There's probably a world where he's on a better team next year maybe even at the deadline. In fact, I would I would put him as one of the top trade candidates from a pitching standpoint heading towards July. Uh, you know, I put a lot of White Sox in that candidacy, by the way. And uh, Josh Hader, a name we've mentioned a couple of times. Doing Josh Hader things, the ERA is just over one. The whip is 0.77. 
He's got 11 saves right now heading into the middle of May here, doing exactly what they want him to do. So some big names preparing themselves for their next big payday. I think some of these will happen before the end of the season. And I'd put Matt Chapman at the top of that list. And finally, Matt Ryan hasn't officially retired from the NFL, but he announced today that he has accepted a position with CBS, both as a studio analyst and in the booth. A good move we all kind of saw coming. He's been that kind of guy for quite a while now. And, you know, the on-field stuff has been declining. There's no question about that. It makes sense for him to say, I'm not retired right now, because who knows what happens over the next couple of months, right? We've talked about this quite a bit with Tanhill's situation, and there are other players kind of sitting out there waiting for their chance. Uh, Carson Wentz being another one right now, by the way. If this is it, though, $291 million plus 12 more coming right now. Matt Ryan's a $300 million NFL player. Should be about $303 million and change when it's all said and done here. Um, that $12 million is a payment that was guaranteed from Indianapolis last offseason in the restructured trade. He's going to get that to walk away here. There's some offsets, offsets built into that. So if he does sign elsewhere, that's less Indy pays to offset what the new team is paying. There's a world where Matt Ryan gets another job in the next couple of months here. There's no question about that. There's a lot of things that can happen and go wrong. Um, teams that like each other, like themselves enough, but know they're, they're, they're deficient in that area and just need a veteran in the room. I just don't know if Matt Ryan could be that guy anymore. I'd say it's less likely that he gets the job. It's just a possibility in my opinion. You know, 34 touchdowns, 25 interceptions over the past two seasons. That's 29 games. The passer rating's really fallen off. He's just not an efficient quarterback anymore. He hasn't been an over 100 passer since 2018. You know, and he's only he only did that twice in his entire career, by the way. So he's never been an efficient and efficient player. Yes, the, he's completed you know passes. He, he's a near 70% completion rate twice in his career. And he was doing that later in his in his career when he was going deep less. But that's not the way the league works anymore, unfortunately. So uh, I just don't know that there, his fit and his age and his time of his career is going to win ball games. That's not going to stop a team from signing him. Let's put it that way. He's, uh, he plays the part well, no matter what, whether he plays or uh, sits in a booth with CBS for the next 12 months. There's $12 million coming his way this year, $303 million total in what was a... Solid career for a number three overall player. Solid. Um, all time. Where does that where does that earnings rank? It's going to make him third all time. Now Stafford's going to blow by him uh, at some point in time. Obviously, your Mahomes and your Russell Wilsons are going to blow by him, but uh, Rogers remains ahead of him and will continue to push that envelope. Brady's three thirty two is probably going to be passed by the middle of next year, depending on how Rogers' contract is structured here. And Stafford has $60 million to be made over this and next season. So uh, Brady's going to fall out of the top three, probably by the end of 2024. And Matt Ryan will be sitting right there with $303 million and change, healthily in the top five all-time earners in the NFL. Okay. That's a little whip around of uh, things that are on the top of my head today. I'm working through the quarterback tiers. It's getting a little bit more in focus now that some things have been said. 
Uh, you know, your Tampa Bay situation, it sounds like it's going to be a total dogfight. I'm going to have to make note both of Kyle Trask and Baker Mayfield in that regard. I'm going to be generous, right? I'm going to give Tannehill the week one start in my tiers. I'm going to give Sam Darnold the week one start in San Francisco, just assuming Purdy's not healthy and they want to slow play him back. But it sure sounds like that's Brock Purdy's team. And by the way, we are not hearing the name Trey Lance. We're not. To me, this is a absolutely monumental training camp for Trey Lance because if he can't show that he's getting this thing figured out and that he is a true asset, not just with his legs or whatever he can do, but an actual pocket passer that can run Kyle Shanahan's offense, they're going to move him. They're going to move him. So if you're a team looking for something late or at least looking for something to compete with what you have right now, I think that's a name that may be out there. So uh, San Francisco is certainly a question mark. Indy's a question mark, by the way. You know, are they going to start the kid Anthony Richardson out of the gate? Or is it going to be Gardner Minshew's team, which is just super fun. And uh, plenty more discussions to be had with Kyler Murray and things like that around the league. So that's where my focus is for the next week here. Well, the big NFL show coming up, including uh, a UDFA update, some NFL cap space. And then we're approaching that June 1st cutoff date when some of those designations will fall off, teams will gain some extra cap space, and then it'll be back to more extension conversations, Justin Jefferson, things like that. But uh, we'll get to it. There's plenty more to get to. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. <laughs>